Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 3 today. Mark chapter 3. We're going to be spending several weeks this summer looking uh, specifically at the book of Mark. And more specifically, we're going to be looking at miracles, the miracles of Jesus the powerful work of Jesus um, in the book of Mark. We're not going to have time to look at all of the miracles. There are so many, but we're going to be highlighting several over the next several weeks. And um, maybe some of you have seen the TV series, The Chosen. I know many of you have, and uh, we've had conversations about that. And uh, Christy and I watched, um, have over time watched the first three seasons that have been out. And uh, more recently, we started watching them, rewatching them with our kids. And um, as we get through different episodes, you know, uh, some episodes are more exciting than others. Which ones, which episodes do you, not, not specific episodes, but which types of episodes do you think are most exciting for all of us to watch together? It's, it's the ones with the miracles, right? Because um, some of the episodes have a lot of dialogue, really important dialogue, and, and uh, many of the, um, much of the script, some of it is um, straight from the words of, of the Gospels, uh, right from the Word of God. Um, not all of it is, you know, of course, word for word, and there's um, a lot of things that maybe are plausible that are, are put in there just to add context to all the events and everything that's highlighted. But um, I've been thinking about that, and as we've rewatched many of those episodes and, you know, getting to some of those ones, oh, this one's really exciting because there's, there's a miracle. And, and, and I've, I've been a little bit convicted by that because sometimes we can hear about miracles or read about miracles in the Gospels, and they're like, wow, these are incredible events, which they are. But then we can sometimes see the rest of it or even the events surrounding the miracles as less exciting or less significant. But I believe that even in the miracles, God wants to do so much more than just wow us with his power and with his authority. God is at work in much deeper ways than we realize through the miracles. And and the purpose of miracles, again, is not just to impress us. That's not what Jesus was about. He was not all about just gaining popularity and wowing the crowd. Most importantly, through miracles, we should be captivated by the power and work of Jesus through the miracles. And miracles really ultimately should accomplish God's purpose in us. Not just wow us for a time and then we move on. Because everyone loves a fun story. Everyone loves an incredible experience. Everyone loves the unexpected, a story of the unthinkable. But that's not all the miracles are. And I want to ask you today, How do you view miracles when you read them in the Gospels or maybe when you experience a miracle in your life? Is it just a moment to be amazed? 
just an incredible experience to go through? Or are you open to the life-changing work of Jesus as he shows his power of healing, sometimes even in the deepest hidden areas of your life? Last week, as we looked at Mark chapter 2, Pastor Dustin from Movement brought that message to us, and he taught us about the healing of the paralyzed man that was brought to Jesus and and lowered through the roof and, and came right before Jesus as there was, you know, the crowd there in the house and standing room only. And and Jesus, yes, indeed, he did heal this man of his paralysis, but more importantly, and I loved how Pastor Dustin so beautifully pointed this out, Most importantly, he met this man's deepest needs. He provided forgiveness and mercy, declared to this man, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus was the only one who could do that. He was the only one who could declare those words to that man. And that's what Jesus does to each one of us in in anything that he does in our lives. He longs to heal our sinful, broken hearts. And today, as we look at Mark chapter 3, at another miracle, we're going to look at a miracle that wasn't quite as popular as many other miracles. A miracle that was met with hatred by the religious leaders. A miracle that ultimately, and this was part of God's purpose in this, revealed the wretchedness that lies within the human heart. You ever thought about that? That sometimes that's what God does in a miracle? is reveals the wretchedness in the hearts of mankind. That's what we see in this miracle here in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and I'll read it for us. So speaking about Jesus, it says, Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal On the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. What a sad ending to this miracle! (laughs) Wouldn't you think this would have been a moment of rejoicing and celebration and praise of the power of Jesus? But instead, What's the, what stands out? It's that the Pharisees went out immediately and, and held counsel how they might destroy Jesus. What was a beautiful moment of healing also revealed that there were hearts that were stone cold to the work of Jesus. And the main question that I want you to consider today is, is how is your heart Is your heart open to the work of Jesus? And is your heart open even to him getting into the deepest, darkest, most hidden places of your hearts? And who would you rather be at the end of this story? 
I think it's kind of obvious, right? Who would you rather be at the end of this miracle? Would you rather be the man who humbly walked away healed? Or would you rather be the Pharisees who seethed with hatred and who, quote, went out and plotted how they would kill Jesus? Wouldn't that be such a miserable way to live? To see this incredible healing and then your immediate response would be, I hate this man. How can we get rid of him? How can we destroy? What a miserable way to live. I don't know about you, but when faced with those two choices, what I want to do is I want to welcome the work of Jesus in my life. And that's really what I want our focus to be today as we learn and, 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 and see this power of Jesus and this miracle, but also learn from the experience of the Pharisees to welcome the work of Jesus. And, and how is it that we do that? How do we welcome the work of Jesus? What we do is we soften our hearts. We allow the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts to the work of Jesus. And I want to focus on two ways that we can do this today. Two parts of this. And the first part is not very fun. Because this is the first part, is to let Jesus expose your hardness of heart. Probably heard that old adage, you know, when it comes to, you know, maybe renovation projects or certain things that you're going through, that sometimes things get worse before it gets better. And that's often what we need God to do with our hearts, is to expose those dark parts of our heart, the hardness of our hearts. And that's what Jesus does here with the Pharisees. And what I love is that nothing gets past Jesus. And I'm sure that for the Pharisees, their heartlessness was ultimately not hidden. They may have looked all put together on the outside, but their true selves were frequently exposed because frequently we can't hide a hard heart. I'm sure it was pretty noticeable for the Pharisees. I'm sure among just common people, common Jews of the day, religious people, I'm sure the Pharisees were not popular because their, their hardness of heart, heartlessness, was likely frequently exposed, as is evidenced right here in this text. I want to set the stage a little bit here. So just a little bit about the book of Mark. The book of Mark is packed with action. It's the shortest gospel, has the least amount of chapters in it, uh, but it is packed with action. And in fact, one of the most repeated words in the Gospel of Mark, and, and I'm going to ask, see if anyone knows what it is. What is one of the most repeated words in the book of Mark? Anyone? Jeff? Immediately. All right. Maybe you did, you know, read it all beforehand. Good job, Jeff. That's one of the most repeated words is that immediately Jesus went out and did this or and immediately the man was healed and then immediately the disciples went on to another town, whatever it is, it's a repeated word. So there's a lot of action and up to this point here, even in Mark chapter three, there's a lot of action. And as Jesus began his ministry, he was growing in popularity, even though that wasn't necessarily his intention wasn't that he was out to be popular, but, but he became popular because he was healing intense diseases and sicknesses and casting out demons. And, and when you think about that, he was doing incredible work, but he was doing very dirty work. Imagine many of those experiences, casting out the demons, just what, what stressful, 
uh, just spiritual moments of spiritual warfare that must have been. And, and even in healing experiences, the, the blood and, you know, whatever it is that Jesus is dealing with, he's providing healing. But it was, it was very dirty work, miraculous, but dirty work. But in the process, Jesus is becoming a hero. Why was he becoming a hero? Well, think about it. I mean, many people were at the end of themselves, and, and, and they had this breakthrough of Jesus healing them. People who had probably given up hope. And every person who lived at that time had every reason to rejoice at this, except for some. And we see them here, the religious leaders. When they should be rejoicing at the miracles, rejoicing at the healings, rejoicing that these problems are fixed, instead, they're growing more and more critical by the minute. And what God's doing is he's exposing their hardness of heart, exposing their selfishness. And what is it that causes that hardness of heart? We can maybe read into this a little bit. Of, you know, what, what maybe caused this hardness of heart with the Pharisees? What was it that caused the hardness of heart for Pharaoh? What was it that caused the hardness of heart for Herod? You know what it was? It was seeking to build a kingdom for themselves. And when life is all about us and about how we look and about our success and people serving us and building a kingdom for ourselves, our hearts grow hardened to the work of God and, and building God's kingdom and, and allowing God to do his work in us. And because of that, the Pharisees see Jesus then as a, as a threat. And, and this is what's happening here in the synagogue. And just a little bit of context here as far as what it was like on, on the Sabbath, they had made such strict rules for the Sabbath that, that their focus was by far more wrapped up in the do's and the don'ts of obeying the Sabbath. Really, it just came down to, you know, it, the Sabbath ultimately didn't end up being that much fun because there were so many rules to follow. And Jesus even points that out. He says, the Sabbath was made for man as a gift, as a day of rest and a day to be enjoyed. But, but they've created all these rules and, and taking many of these rules too far. So they were so wrapped up in the do's and the don'ts of obeying the Sabbath than on actually worshiping and experiencing God's transforming work. And we see their hardness of heart come out in a couple different ways, two different ways that we see this. Number one is in a critical eye. I want you to look closely right now at verse 2. Notice what it says. It says that they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal this man on the Sabbath. You know what this literally means? Watched means that they were eyeballing him. And this word here, it's, it's in the imperfect tense in Greek. Some of you, that maybe that means nothing. <laughs> That's okay. But the imperfect tense means that it's, it's happening at the moment, but it's also ongoing. It's continuing to happen. And they were continuing to eyeball Jesus. They continued to watch him, just hoping that they could catch him doing something wrong and have some kind of reason to accuse him. Again, what an awful, awful way to live. 
And maybe you found yourself doing that. If there's someone that, that is not very popular to you or someone that you've grown to be really annoyed by or, or, or maybe even go so far as to hate them, what are you doing? You're, you're looking to see how they're going to mess up, how they're going to make a mistake and some reason to accuse them or, or some reason to put them down. And so their hardness of heart was revealed in first a critical eye, but then we also just see their, their hardness of heart exposed. It's the second part. And the general rule was that for healing on the Sabbath, here's, here's kind of the principle, is that you should only heal someone if it's a life-threatening issue. <laughs> it's like there was, there was not really, you know, there was like kind of emergency room life-threatening issues, but the urgent care, you know, kind of that in-between, there was no such thing on the Sabbath. And this teaching and this mindset was reflected specifically with one certain rabbi, Rabbi Shammai, who, get this, this is how he um, communicated, quote, opposed, this is what one scholar says, opposed praying for or visiting the sick on the Sabbath since, quote, it was a day to be marked by joy. Can you imagine that? No praying for them. No visiting the sick because, you know, don't, don't, don't ruin our joyful Sabbath day with your problems. You know, imagine that some Sunday. You know, Tony so beautifully leads us in prayer often and takes prayer requests. And imagine Tony gets up here one day and says, okay, uh, we're going to go to prayer, but today is going to be only share things that we can praise and be joyful for. Don't, don't share any of your problems here today. This is not the place. This is not the time. But that's, that was the culture. That was the religious culture. And does in no way reflect the character and the heart of God. Don't take away our joy with your problems. The Pharisees, really, they do nothing of true joy and love and compassion. And what's ironic about this is that while they thought that they were fulfilling the law so well, they were so far from fulfilling the law. They knew nothing of that love and that compassion that, that we're to show to one another. And notice in verse 2, again, it says, they watched to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that, why? So that they might accuse him. So you notice what they're doing? While they're, you know, they're ones to uphold the law. That's not how they were motivated. How were they motivated? They were motivated to find a reason to accuse someone that they hated. And again, there's no fooling Jesus. Jesus sniffed this out right away, and I love it. Verse 4, look at verse 4. In his genius way, he asks this question. He says, and he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? To see, Jesus could see into their hearts and into their minds. And it says, and they were silent, speechless. There was nothing that they could say in response. And I, and I love what uh, a, a classic commentator, William Barclay, classic scholar, I want to share this quote, his insight into this. I think this is such an important point. This is what he says. He says, he, Jesus, 
was taking steps to save this wretched man's life, the man with the withered hand. But what were they doing? They were thinking out methods of killing Jesus. On any reckoning, it was surely a better thing to be thinking about helping a man than it was to be killing a man. No wonder they had nothing to say. Their hearts were exposed. I believe that God wants to use this to expose our hearts as well, even here this morning. And, and maybe, maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online and, and you're realizing that, that maybe your hearts are very much like the Pharisees, just stone cold to the work of Jesus. Or maybe you have been. And maybe the Holy Spirit right now is, is helping you see that is exposing that. Take that as a gift from the Holy Spirit. That you are open and and recognizing that God wants to do something new. He wants to soften your heart to the work of Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to continue to soften your heart. That's the first step, is just recognizing it. Is allowing Jesus to expose that hardness of heart. And then coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to be open to you. I don't want to build my kingdom anymore. I want you to do your work in me. Maybe that's you today. Open your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart. And I love that promise in Ezekiel where God promises them that that I will remove your heart of stone and I will replace it with a heart of flesh a soft heart that is open to the work of God in your life. But what about the rest of us? What if you've been trusting in Christ? And what if you've been open to the work of Christ for a long time? What I think is still true is that we all have a little bit of Pharisee still living in us, don't we? The sinful nature is still at work in us. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit is alive and well, (laughs) but we all have some Pharisee still in us. And and I think there's different ways that we see this. Sometimes we can find it hard to celebrate someone else's success. And I think that's a version of a hardness of heart. I find myself sometimes scrolling through Facebook or Instagram when, you know, someone's sharing something amazing that happened in their life and, and it's like, You want to be happy for them, and you're like, why didn't that happen to me? And and then you you scroll past it, and then you realize, you know what? I should probably go back and like it. (laughs) We can find it hard to, to celebrate someone else's success. We can sometimes get defensive when our mistakes or our imperfections are revealed. God forbid someone see that that we're imperfect. And our defenses can go up. We can get annoyed when someone else's goodness or even their compassionate ministry make us look not as good as them. Since when was ever building the kingdom of God a competition? We can resist even sometimes the miraculous work of Jesus in us. Instead, we can think, well, I am... I am fine the way I am. Maybe there's some dark part of your life that you just are not allowing Jesus into. And you're thinking, Jesus, I am fine the way I am. Don't go there. 
Or maybe, yes, Jesus, I know, I know it's, it's darkness, I know, but you're not going to do anything about it. I urge you, friends, whatever it is, wherever Jesus is exposing that hardness of heart, be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. Be open to the miraculous work of Jesus to heal you, to give you that new heart, that openness of heart to his work. The second main part of this, of how do we soften our hearts to the work of Jesus, is that we come to Jesus, number two, with courageous humility. What in the world is courageous humility? Is there such a thing? Thinking of courage and humility side by side. And I believe that this man with the withered hand demonstrates courageous humility. I want you to notice something. Does the man with the crippled hand ever ask for healing? Does he ask for it? He doesn't. And this is what I love about what happens here is that that Jesus simply notices him. He notices this man's need. And he recognizes the pain of this man. And, And what's so incredible is that nothing will stop Jesus from helping him. No opposition from the Pharisees will stop him. No misconstrued Sabbath rules will stop him. No potential conflict will stop him. His mission is to bring healing and wholeness to this man. You know, sometimes we picture Jesus as this gentle shepherd, which he is, right? But sometimes you see those pictures of Jesus, you know, out in the pastures and, and holding this little lamb, and, and we, we think of him as, as this gentle shepherd, which that is a beautiful picture, and that, that is who he is. But you know what? Jesus was very bold. Jesus wasn't afraid to rock the boat. In fact, we were just watching The Chosen the other night when Jesus heals the man by the, the, by the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. And they're walking away from Jerusalem and the disciples are like, you know, kind of processing this whole thing and asking why Jesus went about it the way he did. And, and he said, sometimes you have to stir up the water a little bit. Now that's not, you know, straight from scripture. It's, we don't find that in the gospels. That was kind of some creative license there. But I think that's, that's a great way to put it. That Jesus wasn't afraid to stir up the water, to rock the boat. And so how does this man show courageous humility? Here's, here's how. First, the fact that this man was in the synagogue showed courage. Because a prevailing teaching in those days was that if a person was blind or crippled or had contracted a disease— that it was because of their sin or their parents' sin that they were cursed. Can you imagine that? You know, what this man would have felt, you know, just even going into the synagogue and all the thoughts there of of looking at this man, seeing his hand, and, and then thinking, oh man, what kind of awful thing did that guy do to deserve that? What did his parents do that, that he deserved that? God's blessing and, and favor must be removed from him. So just the fact that he's there is, demonstrates courage. And imagine the embarrassment that, that this man felt every time. It was very customary that they would lift up their hands in prayer. And every time his withered hand exposed. 
and the embarrassment that he would felt during worship. And then to top it all off, what does Jesus say? He puts him on the spot. Verse 3, he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Even in this extremely tense moment, what would you have done? Would you have gotten up? (laughs) Knowing the backlash of what would have happened, this is when Jesus then questions the Pharisees and silences them. And you can probably hear a pin drop in the room. And then we hear the heart of Jesus described as this crippled man stands before him. And as the hard-hearted Pharisees lock their critical eyes on him, verse 5, listen to this. It says, and he looked around, Jesus looked around at them with anger. This is, this is a righteous anger here. It says, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And right here in this moment, Jesus demonstrates ultimately why he came. He came to, what did he say? Seek and to save the lost. That I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And, and, he, and in this moment, he's, he's doing what is prophesied about him in Isaiah 61.1. I think it's up here on the screen. Isaiah 61.1. This speaks about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's why Jesus came. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord on the Sabbath for that. And you know what? That's what Jesus is still doing. It was that Jesus still wants to do every day in your life. Like the man with the crippled hand What can we do? We can courageously and humbly come to Jesus time and time again, and we can let go of what people might think if our brokenness is exposed. We can let go of a ritual for the sake of healing. And Jesus invites you always and constantly to come to him. And what he said to the man with the withered hand, he says to us, each and every day, two simple words. Come here. Come here. And his words continue to stand true. Matthew 11, 28 through 29. Let's read this out loud together. This is Jesus' gracious invitation to all of us. Let's read it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What a beautiful invitation. And you you know, we, we know that this invitation is true because he did take our burdens. He took our pain. He took our slavery to sin. He took the yoke of sin and bondage and failure upon himself when he hung on the cross. And he invites us, he invites us to come to him, 
time and again to, to find forgiveness and to receive once again the promise of eternal life and to receive the strength that we need from day to day to face the challenges, to overcome the obstacles through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to turn away from temptation to sin to boldly go forth to share his love with others. He gives us the strength as we come to him time and again. And I'm going to invite the Kilpatricks back up. And I asked them, uh, they're, they're with us today and, and are going to be with us a couple other times this summer as we look at these miracles in the book of Mark, and as we see the, the power and the, the healing power of Jesus. They're going to, Sing a song for us, and, and partway through, we'll, if you know it, sing along with them. But it's a, a, a song called, I Speak Jesus. And it just simply talks about speaking the name of Jesus into every area of our lives. Because there is power, and there is healing in that. As we invite the work of Jesus into every part of our lives. When we think about the name of Jesus, a name is not just a name to Jesus. It's not just J-E-S-U-S, a name to call someone. The name of Jesus represents all of who Jesus is and all of what Jesus has done for us. And we have the invitation to go forth day after day to speak the name of Jesus, to invite the work of Jesus into every part of our lives, every corner, every dark place, every temptation, every failure that we experience, to speak the name of Jesus. So let's hear this and, and let's learn to speak the name of Jesus into each part of our lives.